Before we get to our show, here is a podcast we think you're going to love. Hello, the world. We are They Will Kill, a true crime podcast. I'm Courtney Eck. And I'm Sadie Eck. And we are sisters that want to tell you about lesser known murders. Our cases are always compelling, maybe even a little scary, with just enough banter to keep it interesting. You can find us at theywillkill.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. See you there. See ya. it's you perhaps it's not hello hello everyone hi we're bringing back our new jingle yeah our, our old jingle it's you perhaps it's not perhaps it's the mayor of your town <laughs> this is your favorite unofficial unsolved mysteries rewatch podcast my name happens to be liz and mine happens to be samantha we're here today to talk about the show that traumatized you as a child and made you the amateur detective that you are today. Everyone's favorite, Unsolved Mysteries. The original Robert Stack episodes, please. Yeah, don't give us any of that Dennis Freena bullshit. No, no thanks. Which are just the same mysteries, but with blurry Google Maps added. No one needs that. <laughs> How are you doing this week? You know what? It's been a, a better week than most. It's, I don't want to jinx it. I'm not going to say too much, but <laughs> there's a, a strange hope has fallen over the land. <laughs> the United States is in a more optimistic position than it's been in recent history. Uh, the internet is amazing right now. The internet, my Twitter feed, look, do I spend far too much time on Twitter yeah, every day scrolling? Yeah. And ev- it's miserable. Every day. I don't know why I do it. I'm sure there's some psychology behind the doom scroll that I don't understand, whatever. Except the last few days. I've actually enjoyed It's like a party. Through Twitter. It's a laughs. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. The memes are on fire. (laughs) I just... I was talking to a friend of mine on Friday, and I was like, this is the best day for us to be talking because I'm in such a good mood. And she was like, are you joking? Because I'm sure that like doesn't sound like me. And I, and I was like, no, I've like, I've, I'm just like glowing with happiness. I'm so happy. The possibilities right now, like we don't know what's going to happen, but the possibilities are really endless. And that hope just like burns so bright in my heart. It feels good. It feels good. We also got uh, our fall Animal Crossing update. Oh, my God. Yes. Just this when week- I was like fading on animal crossing where i was like i don't you know i don't know what am i doing with my life why am i always on animal crossing and then they were like did you know you could grow pumpkins and i was like holy shit i'm back (laughs) take all of my time i get to grow pumpkins and i don't know what color they are until they grow i'm in hell yeah and then i can make things out of those pumpkins bitch sign me up all kinds of spooky uh, stuff to put around your Animal Crossing island. Look, if you are not already a member of our Animal Crossing group on Facebook, you should join because we're going to do a meetup. We're going to have a costume party in Animal Crossing. It's going to be lit. Um, You're going to want to be there. I need every single one of the like fall spooky DIYs. So I think we need to band together and get like some trades going or something. Because if I miss even one, I'm going to be furious. <laughs> Every time now that I get a DIY and it's not 
pumpkin related. I'm like, this is garbage. What is this? <laughs> this is bullshit. I don't want this message in a bottle. Go back in the ocean. No thanks. Yeah, you're right. We really do need to team up and share. Make, make sure we all DIYs. get a good, like, we're going to be able to make a pumpkin carriage? What? Yeah. This game has it's, our it's, number. I mean, listen up, everyone. Doesn't this sound very exciting? Growing digital pumpkins. Woof. There's just a bunch of people in a boardroom at Nintendo being like, we know what these people want right now. Yeah. They are sad. They are lonely. They are battling several types of depression. What can we bring to the table? Pumpkins. Yeah. It's like, thank you, Nintendo. Thank you. How are your actual pumpkins doing, Samantha? I know you're growing some. The actual pumpkins did not really grow. I planted them too late was my Mm. issue. Um, Time got away from me this spring, and I did not get them in the ground early enough. I do have two watermelon. But I need to go check today because we had a frost last night and I'm not sure if they made it. I I think I may have to pick, I may be forced to pick the watermelon today and I don't know if they're ripe yet. So that will be disappointing because I slaved over this watermelon all summer long. And I did plant that one early enough. It just was a bitch and didn't want to grow for like several months (laughs) this summer. And then it ended up giving me two whole watermelon. I don't know if other people grow watermelon and have the same experience this is my first year but this plant is gigantic it is huge it's taking up like half my yard it's just like (laughs) a monster plant and off this whole plant i got two watermelon maybe it's one of those things that like the first year you don't get that much and it like you know each subsequent year is better maybe maybe some plants are like someone tell me the secret to growing watermelon because i love to eat watermelon but it's the the work reward ratio and also like the space required to grow this thing if i'm only gonna get two watermelon is not i think super worth it but yeah those didn't do so hot but you know what you you learn something every year you you garden i mean i don't think i do learn something but (laughs) the potential is there sure there's always google yeah i got a cold frame so that i could like in theory maybe have some greens into the winter but i really don't know how to use it and i'm super intimidated by it for some reason so it's probably just gonna sit there i think you just need to throw some seeds in there you're not gonna it's you know there's you can't really there's nothing to lose yeah i i put some swiss chard plants in there that's all that's in there right now okay and i was like well maybe they'll last in the cold or maybe they won't we'll see I did get a book about like how to use it, but for some reason the whole thing is like I've like already convinced myself I can't do it. So it's one of those things. I'm I know what you mean completely. Yeah. Well, we are actually here to talk about unsolved mysteries. Do we have any updates? Um, I don't. No, I don't think go, so. Go buy those posters on our yeah, I, store. I guess that's just a, a reminder: is that our Teespring store is live now. We have two posters available, and shortly here, I think we're going to have some other items. So keep checking back if you want some merch. The posters are great; they look so nice. I'm very, actually, very happy with them. Yeah. And um, by the time you're listening to this, the Robert Stack poster giveaway is over so you missed out if you didn't enter that cry yourself a single tear <laughs> but congratulations to whoever yeah to whoever whatever won. good for future, you but... future person <laughs> is gonna win that giveaway congrats in advance yeah. good for you thanks for entering 
Okay. Um, we are actually on the last episode of season five. It's episode twenty-four. A lot of episodes, man. We work hard for this podcast. I watched it on YouTube yet again, uh, ad-free. No complaints there. It's working out great. Yeah. We don't need you, Amazon. We've moved on. Uh, Samantha has our first mystery. This is, I'm going to say right off the front, not the happiest episode. Pretty dark. This is a dark episode. There is one segment that we're going to enjoy talking about, but the other ones are are dark and weird uh and bleak and i mean i feel so much hope just generally but then there's this episode and this episode is yeah. doesn't won't give you a lot of hope it's going to give you the opposite feelings of that so i just if you're going to watch it i want to make sure that you you know like get a, a cuddly blanket maybe some tea you know take care of yourself because this is not going to put you in a better place <laughs> watching this there's no clown alley in this episode i must say i knew as we were watching it like there's no way they're gonna top it i wish they had finished the season out on that high note and this is this isn't a bad episode but it's a grim episode yeah that's a good way of putting it so this first one is a lost love i don't know why i always get the last loves i think it's always. just fate you <laughs> You always get treasure and you always get lost love. And that's just the way the cookie crumbles. I don't know why. That's, we, that's, that's the fates. The fates at work. I don't know if anyone has picked up on this, but we follow a formula where we switch off who has the first mystery and then we do every other. We don't pick which mysteries we get. And for some reason, the fates just give me lost loves, which I'm not mad about. Although this one is, like Liz said, a little grim. So yeah, we're looking right. for the maybe foster parents of Miriam Parton. So Miriam Parton, that's actually her maiden name. They are withholding her married name to help her uh, protect her identity. She is searching for whom she thinks were her foster parents, a man and woman named Pat and Mike McGuire. Uh, she believes they took care of her after her father was taken to a psychiatric hospital when she was a child in 1945. Miriam is at the time of this episode, 50 years old. She lived in New York and had one grown daughter. Her husband passed away in 1984, and she spent most of her time volunteering and working um, with other widows. In July of 1982, she was seeing a psychologist when during one session, she began to have random memories return to her, sort of like horrible flashbacks. Um, Robert Stack introduces this, this, this segment with like, I wrote down the quote. It's a little bit ridiculous. He's in like a, it looks like a high school science classroom. There's yeah. like a, a skull model with like an open brain <laughs> in front of him. It's very uh, beyond belief, fact or fiction. He walks <laughs> in <laughs> and this is what totally. he says. <laughs> the human mind is a vast uncharted universe where thought and moments and memories lurk randomly. Which I don't think I don't that's think true at all. whatsoever. Lurk Thoughts randomly. and moments and memories lurk randomly in the vast uncharted universe that is the human mind, according to Robert Stack. That's, that's very poetic, but I don't think that's true. I'm sure if I was a scientist, I could you know say some things about synapses it's and all how it's really not random the memories are lurking in I the vast uncharted territory that is your brain uh wow 
What a hero <laughs> Robert Stack was to say such bullshit with such <laughs> conviction. So, um, during this session, she had her first horrifying flashback. And then thereafter, she would continue to have frightening images just randomly. I mean, in this case, it was random, just pop into her head, including a man being wrapped around the face with a cloth like a mummy, where he's like struggling and yeah. they're wrapping his face like a an alive mummy. The reenactment is kind of horrifying. <laughs> It's also ridiculous, though. I almost thought this was going to be a Halloween episode when I saw, like, the intro. <laughs> I did, too. I did, too, because it's like, we finally found a mystery with a mummy, except it's this, like, repressed memory of someone being wrapped in bandages. But that also has, like, nothing to no. do with anything. No, I think that's just, like, a manifestation of her trauma, perhaps. It's horrifying, regardless. So once her disconnected memories began to come through, they refused to go away. Often she would wake up in the middle of the night and lay on the floor in her bathroom crying because they were just like relentlessly coming. Um, In these memories, she would see her father attacking her as a young child. And later she would see him being subdued by the police in one strange. Unfortunately, (laughs) I'm sure this is very traumatic, but the specificity of the details makes it quite odd. That she has this memory where she is hungry and asks for a coconut. You know, as you do as a small child. Daddy, can I have a coconut? And he's like, sure, I'll open this coconut for you. And her mom's like, I don't know. Maybe that coconut's not ripe. Maybe you shouldn't use that knife. She's like, she's like really hating on the idea of having a coconut. And the dad's like, she said she wanted a coconut. (laughs) He goes, your mom thinks she's a coconut expert. And she's like smashing this coconut with a knife. Which, yeah, coconuts are, like, hard to open if you don't do that regular. I wouldn't know how to open a coconut. So he's, like, yeah, smashing it with a knife but then can't open it. So then he just, like, throws it across the room and starts, like, flipping over furniture and screaming. It's very odd. And, I yes, as a child, would that be very scary? Absolutely. But to see a grown man freak out over a coconut is sort of amusing. But just also terrible the acting is also really bad so it's he's freaking out over a coconut he's not a good actor it's very strange um your mom thinks she's some kind of coconut expert (laughs) but she's not gonna control me i control the coconuts It's so ridiculous and absurd that it's silly. I laugh. I really did laugh out loud. Although it's very traumatic, and you could imagine how much it traumatizes poor child. So he's freaking out about this coconut. In as an adult, she's having this flashback about it. It alarmed her psychologist, who believes that it was an indication that she had been abused and was repressing these memories until you know being in therapy and talking about it suddenly made them sort of come to the surface. Yeah, absolutely, uh, which makes total sense and is. Also sounds really unpleasant. Um, Marion was especially surprised uh, her flashbacks because she had only remembered good things about her father, uh, which, I mean, I guess Ugh. makes sense if you're repressing yeah. all the bad memories, then, you know, what sticks with you is good memories. And you have this idea of your father as a good person and as having a happy childhood, but then suddenly all these other memories are coming. So that was very upsetting for Miriam. She was an only child. Her father, Harry, died in 1984. 
Although he had often exhibited erratic behavior, her conscious memories of him had always been happy ones. Now she believed that something bad had happened to her between the ages of three and five. During this time, she lived with her parents in Miami Beach. So during this coconut incident, she remembers her father picking her up and violently shaking her. She was able to kick him and he dropped her. So she ran and hid behind a couch. And honestly, so the whole reenactment is ridiculous. But the scariest part, I think, is that she's hiding behind this couch and he's walking around the house with a knife, like calling for her. She said he was calling for her as if she was a dog or a cat. And he's sort of menacingly holding this knife. And then when he can't find her, he starts violently stabbing a chair, which implies that he was looking to find her and stab her, which is very scary. And then in her memory, she remembers police rushing in and potentially also medical professionals. She remembers in this memory, like people in white coats coming in and them and the police tried to subdue him. So she thinks that perhaps her mother called called them. So she now believes that her father suffered from severe mental illness. She also believes that she was taken away as her mother was trying to cope and deal with the situation. During one of her flashbacks, she realized that she was with a um, a different person who she remembered, like she had this feeling that this was her mother, but it was actually a different person um, and that she was in the home of a different couple. Um, uh, she realized that this was a safe place that she was remembering and that the couple were sweet and kind to her. As her memories seemed to return, she realized that the new couple were probably foster parents and that she had been likely placed with them. She remembered that her foster father was a young man who had white hair. She also remembered that he was a fireman. With her foster mother, she remembered that she sang her to sleep um, with Irish lullabies, and she believes that she called them Mommy Pat and Daddy Mike. The happy memories soon ended, however. She recalled a serious discussion with Pat and Mike, with them saying that she may be taken away. She next remembered sitting in a courtroom with a social worker. Her parents, along with her foster, the foster parents, were also there, and the court decided that she would go back with her real parents. The last thing she remembered was crying in the courtroom, wishing that she could go back with Pat and Mike. Miriam lived with... Mm, I know, so and the reenactment of this particularly is really, really sad. So Miriam lived with her um, parents until she married at the age of 21. At the age of 47, she began to search for Mike and Pat. Miriam's mother admits that her father did have emotional issues. However, she denies that Miriam was ever placed in foster care. Some have suggested that Miriam suffers from what's mm. called false memory syndrome. Um, her psycho psychologist describes it basically like it's not necessarily that she's making it up if she had this syndrome but there's a there's a chance of course that what she's remembering didn't actually happen um but he didn't really believe that he thinks that they're so they're specific and in all likelihood she was repressing these memories and that they are true um there are no court or foster records um for miriam however but that I don't know. It doesn't necessarily mean anything to me because we know that governments don't always keep great records, especially yeah, record, not before they were digital. That, that uh, yeah. There's been some real sloppy record keeping, which has led to plenty of mysteries. So, right, exactly. And the Dade County, County Clerk's Office actually told Unsolved Mysteries that it's not unusual for the time period following World War II to not have those records anymore. Miriam still hopes to find her foster parents to thank them for the love and care they gave her. She believes that she lived with Pat and Mike 
between 1945 and 1946 when she was between the ages of three and four. There is a little update, but this is technically unresolved. There, a viewer did call Unsolved Mysteries to say that Pat and Mike McGuire actually did exist. Or, you know, a couple by that name existed. Um, they sent a photograph of Pat McGuire around that same time. It's not a very clear photograph, however. Um, and the viewer did say that they cared for a young child um, in 1945. However, Miriam was unable to locate them. That lead didn't actually go anywhere other than there's a potential photograph. I mean, I think it... it um, I feel like I'm going to say this word wrong. <laughs> it corroborate, collaborates? What am I trying to say? Corroborates? It's, yes, thank you. It corroborates her memory. So I think that does possibly prove that that really happened. I'm a little bit frustrated with the mom. I feel like she's not telling her the whole story. And part of what makes me think that is that she had only had happy memories of her father until they started coming back. And then the mom was like, yeah, okay. So he did have some mental health issues. So I don't know that she's being very forthcoming. Agreed. I think maybe it's something she didn't want to talk about because it was such a dark chapter or because her daughter honestly wanted to stay with those other people. Yeah, I think that's true. I don't know that the mom denying it means much um, because it does seem like she had these traumatic experiences. And yeah, it's too bad that she never got... It would have been helpful if her mom was more willing to talk to her about the situation with her father. and Right, because she, all the information she has and that she gives to Unsolved Mysteries is, came entirely from the mem- the flashbacks that she experienced. She didn't actually get any information from her mom. Her mom was just like, well, yeah, he had some, she called it emotional problems. Which so, seems like- to support the coconut mystery or memory, right? Like the mom's yeah. not denying that that happened. So if that memory is true, it seems more likely to me that the foster parent memory is true and that the mom just doesn't want to talk about it, which is exactly sad. Yeah, it really is. Okay, now we're going to move on to something you might not have expected. <laughs> I sure didn't. A ghost blimp. Uh you heard that right (laughs) it's a ghost blimp everyone and this unexplained segment taking place in 1942 robert sack wants to remind you that world war ii was still in progress um he said the u.s had every reason to fear a japanese invasion of its western shores and i was kind of like yeah okay but (laughs) at the time people were very worried about submarines uh, so apparently the solution to that was blimps. So I just wrote down blimps to the rescue. <laughs> and, oh my god. Okay. My my notes, moving backwards, my notes for the last mystery, this is all I wrote down. Haunting by mummy memories. Attacked over a coconut. And then in all caps, fashion equals snood. <laughs> we didn't talk about the fashion in that one. I, we got some Bresso fashions, including a snood, which if you don't know what yeah. that is, it's a sort of like knit hairnet thing women wore in the 40s. You like put it around a low bun. Uh, so I just wanted to make sure we included that when we did our, our fashion wrap up at the end of the uh, the end of the episode. Okay. You're really taking notes on the important the important Exactly. Parts. When you have a repressed memory that might be of a mummy, very important. When someone's wearing a snood, also important. When there's a ghost blimp, important. Okay. 
So we're talking about August 16th, 1942, because on that day, a blimp crashed on the California coast. But strangely, no one was on board. The two-man crew had, had vanished and were never found. This started the ghost blimp legend, which, okay, I don't really think is much of a legend, but whatever. Robert Stack is also... How dare you? Oh, my God. How do you besmirch the ghost <laughs> blimp, blimp legend? I mean, this is an inc- incredibly legendary ghost blimp. I'm sorry. List. I take it back. Name a more legendary ghost blimp, I dare you. <laughs> you got me there. I can't. I just... It's not very ghostly, but it is mysterious. Well, that's fair. That's fair. It's, it's highly mysterious. I'll give it that. So Robert Stack is actually standing by what I wrote down as the only blimp of note, the Goodyear blimp, <laughs> while he's talking about this. So the day... Uh, All the other blimps are crying right now. Yeah. <laughs> How dare you? I've been overlooked again. Okay. So on that day... The blimp uh, was designated Flight 101, was prepared to take off. It was manned by 27-year-old Lieutenant Ernest DeWitt Cody and 34-year-old, I'm not even sure, I already forgot how you said this, Ensign Charles Ellis Adams? Is Ensign a name? Okay. Both were considered experienced and reliable. There would have been a third man on board, but he was ordered off at the last minute, possibly due to the level of moisture in the air. Uh, it seems like records about this are not entirely clear. There was a guy that was going to be part of the crew, but they told him to get off. And the speculation is that the air conditions weren't good. So they didn't want three men on the blimp. They only wanted two. Who knows? So the blimp was supposed to fly from what is apparently actually called Treasure Island to the Farland Islands, 24 miles, 25 miles off the California coast, and then head north. But after doing the first leg of the flight, they lost communication. After three hours of radio silence, which seems like kind of a lot, we we get a reenactment of that where they're like, you know, come in, come in, and they just don't hear anything. Um, they heard from the San Francisco Coast Guard that a blimp had crashed on a golf course, which meant the blimp was eight miles off course. Um, so after crashing down on the coast, it rose again and began drifting inland. It quickly, quickly lost altitude over Daly City, and we hear a reenact. Um, sorry, we hear from an eyewitness on um, this woman that was like super. This is clearly the most exciting thing that's ever happened in her life that she once <laughs> saw <laughs> this blimp crashed out of the. Sorry, I should be so mean. Um, that she once saw this blimp crash. <laughs> okay. Fortunately, nobody was injured when it came down in the middle of the street. So the Navy arrived and were shocked to find no one on board. So they were expecting that there would be like, you know, the two injured crew members or I don't know, somehow they had died and that's how the blimp crashed. But instead there was nobody. So the switches were still on straight. This is the part I find the strangest. The radio still worked. So there's no reason why they couldn't have um, responded to those check-ins. Or signaled distress. Right. There was also still six hours of fuel remaining. So that's not why. Um, The safety bar that was across the door had been removed. So it it didn't seem like they would have. I don't know if that means they couldn't have just fallen out. But they would have had to actively move that bar. Right. Um, And three life jackets were missing. Still on board was a machine gun. (laughs) Flares an inflatable raft and one life jacket 
There was also a locked briefcase full of top secret codes, which in the reenactment literally was just like a black, you know, dossier holding thing that says like secret codes on it or something. <laughs> like literally said like top secret stenciled on it. And I was like, I don't think that's the best way to keep things secret, in my opinion. But I that would think this is the secret code. <laughs> I wonder if this could be the secret codes, everyone, which actually might be kind of a good look for just like. I don't know if you have a briefcase or maybe a large purse and you want to spray paint secret codes on it. That could be pretty. That could be a good look. Okay. So the um, ships had spotted the blimp in flight. So when they talked to those witnesses, apparently everybody thing had looked normal. Some ships were close enough that they could actually see that two men were on board and, you know, nothing seemed um, out of the ordinary. So this is where you get to speculate. Had there been an accident? Had there been a lover's quarrel? All these different rumors fly around that maybe these two men were fighting over a woman. They like throw. They, yeah, maybe there's a love triangle. Maybe they get thrown off the blimp. The Navy w- went with what they called the most likely scenario, which is that one of them went out to fix something on the blimp, needed help. The other one went out and then they both fell. I like the lover's quarrel. I, they were lovers. Were they quarreling with each other because they? Yeah, they were lovers. That's my theory. That wasn't put forth through the show, but I think that's heterosexism. I think we should consider the fact that they were in love. Maybe they quarreled. Maybe they had a love pack suicide. I don't see that speculated on, but I don't see why not. Sure, it's as likely as anything else. Yeah, the thing is, we honestly have no idea what happened to these two men. So you can say anything. You can say they joined Mothman in another realm aliens yeah why not they saw the Loch Ness monster and they hopped on its back and they rode away (laughs) um the twist I know you're surprised there's a twist to the ghost blimp is that the blimp went on to be used by Goodyear in the 60s and 70s and was seen by millions during sporting events so you may have very well seen the ghost blimp yeah that's not a good idea (laughs) why there's some bad there's bad vibes um, on the doomed mm. blimp. You're just going to f- fly that ablo- above a sports game to promote your tires. So random, right? I, I I've never really thought about how weird it is that there's a gigantic blimp flying around that's like buy tires. That's kind of weird. I guess I've never thought about it. Very random. Has nothing and to do with anything. That blimp possibly this cursed lovers quarrel blimp has been yeah flying or overhead and you're like oh look the goodyear blimp Mm, little did you know it's actually the ghost blimp coming for you trying to actually (laughs) disappear you as well i feel bad for these families that never knew what happened it is i mean this it's a weird mystery it's a weird probably they just yeah fell out they probably yeah they're it's weird that they didn't radio for help but maybe they thought it was like a minor thing and they ended up both falling or I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, it is weird. All right. You have a wanted. And all I wrote down is two firefighters in this episode. And then this is terrible. That's all I wrote. Yeah. This is uh, wanted. And we are looking for the dirtbag of the century. Oh, my God. Reggie De Palma. He was a Danbury, Connecticut firefighter fighter, fighter, and once respected pillar of the community. 
You, on this you show, <laughs> on this show, you're always nope, nope. Any pillar of the community, just shoot them on sight. There is never leading to something good. It's never. And he saved five puppies from a storm drain. No, never. Because that's not a mystery. Nope. Nope. This, this wouldn't be a wanted if he was just continued to be a pillar of and the community. And he continued to be a pillar of the community by finding treasure. If right. only. Yep. We're not going there, folks. Okay. In 1978, he organized and ran a local explorer's post for the youth in his community. His girlfriend, Connie, was a co-leader of the organization. And it became her a too. popular after school activity for many teenagers in the area one of these teens uh who they called diane in the show but it's not her for her real name felt that they were very nice and trustworthy people it by 1981 this explorer's post grew to include 15 girls and 10 boys they would often meet at the fire station and were receiving would receive training in first aid and I don't know. It doesn't seem like an explorer type thing. It seemed like a scout sort of situation. Yeah. Except that he was a firefighter, so he would show them how to do like CPR on a fake, you know, dummy. Um, often, training was interrupted by emergency calls for you know fires or whatever. The teens idolized De Palma, and he became a role model for them. Another teen who was called Terry in the show was very close with De Palma and his girlfriend. In October, the group organized a haunted house to help raise money for an upcoming camping trip. While there, De Palma asked Terry, who was then 13 years old, about having a boyfriend and having sex. Totally normal question for an adult to ask a 13-year-old. This? Oh, wait, no, it's terrible! We probably should have given like a trigger warning at the beginning of this one, especially if you're going to watch this episode. Ugh, yeah, the reenactment yeah, yeah. is really difficult to watch. They reenact this conversation, which is like in a haunted house. <laughs> it's just so weird. <laughs> so weird. Unsettling. It gives us this total like us vibes. Like, yeah. Yeah. It, it, you might think, oh, a haunted house, that's not really scary. Yeah, but imagine you're 13 and a grown man you idolize is asking you about your sex life. Suddenly, uh -huh. that haunted house is very fucking scary. Yeah, terrifying. So he, he, he asked her if she ever had a boyfriend, if she ever went, quote, all the way. And then I he would want so much. Ew. <laughs> And so she's very uncomfortable. She's not wanting to answer these questions. She's looking away. She says, no, no. I'm leave alone. He said that he would want to teach her about it because he was her, quote, friend. Uh-huh. I hate talking about this. At the time, she felt uncomfortable. But also, like, she didn't realize that this she wasn't the only person he was, the only kid he was saying this to. Um, so she felt you know, alone. Um, she didn't know what to make of it because she's At 13. Age, yeah, you don't fully understand what is inappropriate and what is not, a, you know, you don't, you don't fully understand where those lines are. Also, you think you're a lot more grown than you are and you try yes. to like be more mature than you are. So as uncomfortable as this is making her, I'm sure she didn't want to be like, you're gross, right? Because this is someone she looks up to and respects. So she's like, you know, trying to be cool and fit in or whatever. But she also is like, maybe this is how adults are. And I'm supposed to yeah. know that because I'm growing up. Like, ugh. Yeah. 
Exactly. Or how do you tell this person, I'm uncomfortable, I don't want to talk about this. Right. You're 13. Like, that would be very difficult to do. So at this point, she's in the haunted house. She's weirded out. She's creeped out. And then Connie comes up to her and asks her to come back to their apartment. See, this is the part that has the diabolical mind condition, if you ask me. Because having the girlfriend reassure her makes the situation seem so much more safe. That this woman that he is, you know, with, and they're this pillar of the community, and everybody, like, you know, thinks of them as this couple, right? That that is going to seem so much less threatening. And not really something you would be warned about, opposed to just you know, a random dude. Oh, yeah, yeah. Your parents probably told you, you know, don't don't be alone with them. Like, you know what I mean? But now this girlfriend, who's part of their group, this scout group, she's involved in it, so they know her very well. This is extremely predatory. And it's someone I'm sure her parents know and respect, right? Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. sorry, go on. <sighs> this is where it gets difficult to talk about. So she had Terry take a shower to get the makeup off of her face from the haunted house. After that, uh, she was invited into their bedroom where De Paula forced her to have sex with him while Connie watched. Honestly, <sighs> death is too good for both of them. I I want them both to suffer forever. <sighs> this is so bad. Tragically, Terry was not his first victim and would also not be his last. Diane, not her real name, who was also 13 at the time, was also raped by De Palma. Over the next year, he continued to sexually abuse girls in the Explorers Post group. Finally, the girls got together as a group and one of them decided to tell her mother. We have this reenactment where basically they all came together and they were like telling each other what was ha- what he was doing to them and realizing as a group that like we're not alone. Like he's doing this to all of us and it's terrible and we need to say something and the girls decide that one of them was going to tell her mother and the others were going to, you know, support her in this and um so she went to her mother and and her mother immediately called the police. Investigators questioned the girls um and did everything they could to help them. Um several of them claimed that he had forced them to drink alcohol um before he attacked them. Um, when this this came out, um, De Palma was arrested by the police and charged with five counts of child molestation. His girlfriend, Connie, was questioned. She later pled guilty to risking injury to a minor and was given five years in prison. Not enough. Uh, no. She should and, have been thrown in a pit where spiders ate her eyeballs. Yeah, it's really terrible. Um, one year after his arrest, De Palma went on trial on the fifth day of the trial, he went to New Haven, Connecticut to visit his sick mother and disappeared. His car was found in the hospital parking lot. The trial went on without him, and on October 25th, 1983, he was convicted on all charges. He was sentenced in abstentia to 20 years in prison. However, he remained at large at the time of the broadcast and had, at that point, never served a day of his sentence. His victims are still hoping that he'll be caught before he can abuse another child. Fortunately, he was captured in the summer of 2000. Uh, oh, America's later, Most Wanted. Though. Yeah, well, yes. So he was out. Um, the segment originally ran on May 19th, 1993, and then it went on to be featured on America's Most Wanted. And it seems like America's Most Wanted is what finally got him captured. Oh, boo. Um, 
yeah un- we, unfortunately we have to give one to America's Most Wanted <laughs> um, one of their viewers tips led investigators to De Palma who was arrested in Florida after 17 years on the run mm. he was living with a wife and three children mm. using the alias Lawrence Mateo he was taken back to Connecticut and sentenced to 21 years in prison and was released in 2014 okay Great. As of as of 2015, he was a registered sex offender in the state of Connecticut. I don't have an update beyond that. Hopefully, he fell in a hole and never came out. Yeah, I um, mean, if there's a god, yeah, it's a very distressing segment. I will say that I feel like it's handled pretty well. Um, I thought the reenactment of the girls realizing that they all had this in common. I thought the acting for that was very good, and I thought that was very well done. Yeah, I thought they handled it well. The investigators, of course, were taking it extremely seriously. And it just sucks that he got to live a life for 17 years. Have He got married, had children. Yeah, you got to worry about those children. Wanna, yeah, I don't I even want to think about that. That's horrible. Um, so, yeah. That I hope, was dark. I hope the victims got the therapy and support they need because, yeah, it's just very grim. It's a very dark story. Yeah, Reggie De Palma has a mustache, but he's obviously ineligible for MVM. Oh, God, yeah. I hope um, any mustache he ever has catches on fire and burns his whole face. Yeah, that would be <laughs> <laughs> less than he deserves. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so now it doesn't pick up. We get a final appeal. Brace yourself. Yeah, okay. goddamn. Unsolved Mysteries wants to remind you of other final appeal segments that they've done. It's just a thing to kill time, I swear. But they want you to know that they've, like, helped these other people get released. And, you know, good for them. So then Robert Stack claims that criminals always say that they are innocent. I don't actually think that that's true. Um, No, I don't think it's true at all. (laughs) But I think that is, like, sort of common misconception that, like, literally everyone says that they're innocent. I, I don't know. Okay, anyway. Um... And Robert Stack is standing in a courtroom, but has, like, really intense blue haze. And it's like, why would a courtroom be foggy? But anyway, (laughs) um, we're going back to January 3rd, 1972, when two boys on the Taylor Bayou near Webster, Texas, found, quote, evidence of a tragedy. The reenactment for this is sadly hilarious because it is two kids canoeing going, oh, what's that floating over there? And it's a freaking human skull. So then they pull the skull into the boat and start freaking out and then like paddling away. And unfortunately, that's pretty hilarious. But um, so six weeks later, the rest of that victim's bones were found along with those of another young woman. Dental records helped ID the remains. It was 14-year-old Rhonda Renee Johnson and 15-year-old Shannon Shaw. The cause of death was unknown because they were pretty decomposed by the time they were found. So the police went on to arrest 23-year-old Michael Self, a gas station attendant. And the reason this is a final appeal is because he has been in prison for 20 years at the time of this segment for crimes he says he doesn't, uh, didn't commit. At this point, Robert Stack uses the phrase rough justice. And I just knew immediately that that was going to be the title of this episode. But by rough justice, what he was talking about was like police torturing a confession out of someone. So he defines rough justice as physical and psychological intimidation. It's like, "Mm, that's that's torture. But okay. 
I, yeah, justice isn't the right word, but rough justice is just... <laughs> it's such a, like, porno title name, and I him saying it with, like, total conviction is very funny to me. But it turns out the two police officers who produced this confession are also criminals. Surprise, surprise. Okay. Which I literally wrote down, like, huh. Yeah, that's supposed to be, like, a big shock, but no one in this day and age is surprised to find out that these two abusive police officers were also criminals. I mean, they're criminals just from that, but... Um, both victims disappeared on August 4th, 1971. They were last seen heading to a surf and ski shop in Galveston, Texas, which is about 20 miles south of Rhonda's home. And despite there was a large search at the time because one of the victims was a councilman's daughter, I believe, but there were no real leads. So in late May of 1972, the Webster City Council hired a new police chief. This was Don Morris, and he came with his assistant chief, Tommy Deal. Both were for the, from the traffic division of the pu- Department of Public Safety, which... I don't know, to me, does not sound like you're qualified to be sheriff or whatever. No. Within three weeks, he got a tip that he should check out the known sex offenders in the area, which I don't even understand how that's a tip. That seems like kind of just routine protocol, but whatever. So Michael Self was one of those known sex offenders. He had two charges for, um, quote, peeping Tom incidents. So he was a peeper. That part, I don't think there's any denial that he's guilty of. So by June 9th, 1972, at 5 a.m., Assistant Chief Tommy Deal and another officer stopped by the gas station where Michael worked. Tommy, for some reason, tells him that he has ESP and can read his mind. Yeah, this... (sighs) So... I'm not sure exactly, but it seems like Michael Self is kind of a vulnerable adult. Uh, I think he's very easily manipulated by authority figures, and I'm guessing Tommy could sense that right away. And so is telling him, like, I can read your mind, and I know you killed those girls. But Michael was just sort of like, okay. (laughs) You know what to say to that? It's just, it's also just like a fucking weird declaration. To like pull into a gas station five in the morning and go, hey, you know what ESP is? I can read your mind. Hmm. Yeah. My reaction right. to that is, are you a real police officer? Are like, you should I? High right now? Because I gotta say, it's five in the morning. Like, you need to get your life together. Um, so because of that interaction, Michael later came into the police station voluntarily. I'm I guess they had asked him to come by. I'm not really sure. He was shown photos of both victims, and he said he recognized them but did not know them. I I don't think that's surprising at all, considering there was supposedly, like, a really big search for them. Like, he's probably seen their photos. Or maybe they came to the gas station. It doesn't seem like it's a super populous area, right? Like, he's probably seen them around, but I don't know. He doesn't know two 14-year-old girls. Um, he was, that at this point, cuffed and told that he was going to be arrested. Um, and that they knew that he had killed them. At this point, he's put into a room where the officers demanded a confession. At one point, he's forced against a wall and hit with a nightstick. I think this is, I'm sorry, I don't, my notes aren't clear on this. I think this is Don Morris who is doing this part. Oh, okay. The chief of police. But it might be Tommy Deal. I honestly don't remember. I apologize. But yeah, so he's beaten with a nightstick. And at that point, he... The officer takes out his gun, removes five bullets, and lines them up on the table in front of Michael and threatens to blow his brains out if he doesn't sign a confession. 
Um, he's also told what to write for his confession because guess what? He doesn't know. So another officer was in the room at the very beginning, leaves and comes back at the point where he's writing the confession, which he saw had to be written several times because it quote wasn't right. Okay. Yeah. However, the confession submitted to evidence still doesn't match the known details of the crime. The dump site that's listed is 20 miles from where the two bodies were found. He also referred to choking one of the victims in such a manner that probably would have broken bones, which isn't seen in the remains. Um, he also had never been to the victim's houses, as stated. Uh, we hear from an attorney now with quite a mustache. It's extremely long. I call it the... <laughs> it's very skinny. <laughs> I, I hate it. I full up hate it. I called it the cursed arch. <laughs> no. That is, that is a cursed mustache. Yeah, not I'm not a fan. So 3 days after his arrest, Michael went against his attorney's advice and took a lie detector test. I'm sure he thought that this would prove his innocence. And actually um even when he claimed the confession was true because he was still scared of being killed by police officers, the polygraph actually said that that was a lie. Um and at this point, because of that, they asked him to sign a second confession <laughs> because he sort of like just disproved his first one. So and because he's still afraid for his life, he he did. However, that confession is also incorrect, saying that the bodies were nude when they were actually found clothed, etc. So two weeks later, this is very strange. The two police officers like check him out of jail, say they're getting him a hamburger but actually take him for a ride to the places mentioned in the confession and photograph him standing there. This is presented at the trial as a third confession. I have never heard of this in my life. I don't understand how that is a confession to anything. Like, no, we- and his new attorney says that it wasn't even legal for them to take him out of prison for this reason. Yeah. To take him out of jail. To just, like, photograph him. Sta- like, we took him to a place, told him to stand there, photographed him. Obviously, he did it. Like, what? You could do that with anyone. You could have done that with me if I was alive. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Okay. Uh, We hear from another officer that believes Michael's story because he had seen... um, And again, I'm not sure which officer this is. I think this is Morris. Because he had seen Morris force a suspect to play Russian roulette. Cool. At this point, I'm definitely going, wait... And that you did what when that happened? Apparently nothing. <laughs> He's like, oh, I know. I think this story is true because he talked about removing the bullets from the gun and lining them up. And I've seen him do that. And it's like, huh, cool. And that's just allowed to continue. Yeah. So so his story does make sense to me. Like, oh, boy. So apparently that had happened one year earlier. A couple years later, the town was shocked, shocked, I say, when Morris and Deal were arrested for a bank robbery, which is kind of hilarious that the town's sheriff and like assistant sheriff uh, were actually bank robbers and they had been robbing banks for a while, including five months before Michael was arrested. So that's supposed to make you extremely suspect of this confession as if you weren't already like bank robbers or not. I don't believe anything about this confession it's like well they they beat him and they threatened to murder him i think that's enough and they made him rewrite the confession multiple times and then yeah it took him on this like weird photo essay journey they're suspect as hell but also bank robbers 
So for the bank robbery, Morris was sentenced to 55 years and Tommy Deal was sentenced to 30 years. Um, Both were eventually paroled, but Tommy went on to rob another bank and was returned to prison. He just loved robbing banks. Couldn't get enough of it. So on April 2nd, 1980, a man walked into the police station in Taylor Lake, Texas, and confessed to both of the murders. He said he had a really guilty conscience and he wanted to get us off his chest or whatever. So, and these are the, if it's not clear, these are the murders that Michael Self is in prison for. Um, His account was vague and disjointed, but the way that was interpreted is that he wanted to sort of, like, alleviate his guilt by confessing to the murders, but also, like, not be prosecuted. So when he was asked specific questions about, like, the dump site or, or how he met the victims and stuff like that, he was very vague and claimed he didn't remember. But he did mention tying them up with black cord, which was a detail that was not known to the public and was not mentioned in either of the confessions. So that did lead people to think that this guy's confession was accurate. So we hear from one prosecutor who believes that Michael Self is innocent and one who I guess believes he's guilty or just doesn't really care. He's sort of like, look, it was enough for the jury. We're done. Um, But the new person was actually connected to the victims, unlike Michael, who had no connection to them. He lived in the same apartment building as one of them. Um, There's actually no evidence beyond the confession connecting Michael's self to the crime. There's literally no physical evidence. There's no eyewitnesses. There's no there's literally nothing. He had no connection to the victims. He had no connection to the dump site. He had. Other than they got him to say that he did it, that's literally it. Uh, So the update is depressing as hell. The U.S. Supreme Court refused to consider Michael Self's request for a new trial, and he was repeatedly denied parole. He died of cancer in prison at 53. It seems pretty clear that he didn't do it. Um, Here's the update or the results from Unsolved uh, Wiki. Unresolved, Self was denied parole in 1994 and eventually exhausted his appeals. In 2000, he died in prison without ever receiving a new trial. He was 52. However, some of the investigators in the case now believe that his coercion was coerced. And he was oh, wrongly... Oh, they believe it now. Oh, oh do they? Huh. He was wrongly convicted. Convicted murderer Edward Bell has since confessed to Rhonda and Shannon's murder along with the murders of several other young women. However, he has never been charged in those cases, and he died in prison in 2019. It's very distressing. It's, I mean, no, what I mean is it's a perfect system. There's no, we don't need to just burn it down and start over. Uh, Yeah, yeah. If you had, if you are of the opinion that the system works great, I would recommend watching this segment and maybe mulling on that and realizing that stuff like that still happens with yeah, it's surprising common. or at least unsettling frequency if not surprising um, police are allowed to lie to you so it's not even clear to me like if a police like today some police officer walked into the room with a suspect and to- told them he had esp and could read his mind i'm not even i think that's completely legal oh yeah totally and it would be, you know, your fault for falling for that or something, even though I don't feel like Michael Self was adequately equipped to, you know, represent himself or defend himself. Yeah. Um, oh, God. Yeah. I think it's very 
clear that they didn't care who really committed this crime. They just wanted to solve it to look good because they, you know, were new appointees. Um, and that just meant that the actual murderer was, you know, still out. They, like, they didn't care. No. They and even them, them going to prison for actual bank robbery didn't... <laughs> didn't help him get a new trial like what you had there was no other evidence there was nothing committing him to that crime except that if when someone literally threatened to kill him he was so scared that he agreed to sign something that he didn't even really write since he had to keep redoing it like schoolwork yeah. So frustrating. So that's where we end season five, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> what an upbeat. I mean, I'm glad Robert Stack didn't like personally tamper with the evidence, but other than that, there's not <laughs> there's not much good to say about it. It is dark. It is yeah, a this one's bleak. It's gonna haunt you. I think it's a good reminder not to talk to the police, though. So definitely oh, yeah. go on Etsy, get yourself a come back with a warrant little embroidery hoop or something. You can get I've hey, seen it on your door. doormats. Yeah, just don't talk to the police. This could be you. You don't know. You could be the next yeah. Michael self. Yeah, really, for real. It's good advice. Um. Okay, let's rate it. Mysteriousness. Okay. Actually, pretty mysterious. Um, because of the blimp. The well, blimp is mysterious oh, on this like whole other level. Yeah, and the the last love is is unresolved, so that's also mysterious. When are we gonna talk about a blimp again? Probably never. So thumbs Possibly up. Possibly never, especially a ghost blimp. Never. So, thumbs up. Fashion. Okay, we did get a snooze, but did we get anything else of note? I don't think so. I'm trying to remember. I mean, the, even the mustaches weren't that great. Uh, they were in fact cursed. So I'm going to say sideways, and it's only getting a sideways literally because of a snood. I think you're right. It gets a few points for that, but not many. Um, reenactments. Oh, all over the map. You've got some, like, unintentionally funny reenactments. You've got that some, like reenactment. And that those boys oh, okay. in a canoe the thinking boy. it's a ball floating down the river, and it turns out to be a skull. It's such a, like, goosebumps moment where it's like, what's this? I bet it's a treasure. I bet it's a ball. Yeah, oh my right. god, it's a skull. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to rate this. Some of them are very good and heartwarming, and some of them are will make you roll your eyes and completely ridiculous. Does it is it just a wash? It's just like your thumb waver. It's like your thumb vibrating from up down as fast Doesn't as it can. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think that's I don't know what to call that, but that's what <laughs> that's what this episode gets for reenactments. And then Robert Stack, I have to say, he is like feeling himself. Yeah, this episode he's or something. Really he's like, very poetic. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense what he's saying. No, but it makes no he, sense. He says it with a lot of gravitas. The conviction he has in his nonsense couldn't be more. He's just like, I don't. He's just like in it. He's like, yeah. I don't know if it's like the season's done. He's about to go on vacation or what. But he's like. <laughs> He's really all about himself. He's all about unsolved mysteries. He's all about the mystery. He's all about there's for some reason being a fog machine in a courtroom. Like, <laughs> yes, yes. He gets a thumbs way up from me. Thumbs up for Robert Stack. That's you know that's a good that's a good way to close out the season. It's a good Robert Stack a episode. Robert Stack that will a little bit make you 
have even less faith in humanity, but <laughs> at least there was Robert Stack, you know? Yeah, exactly. And then on our Robert Stack scale, oof, I haven't really thought about this. Yeah. I actually think it's good. It's just sad. You're right. But You're right. We can't like mark it down necessarily for being sad. I mean, this is unsolved mysteries. But those re- some of those reenactments are <laughs> are kind of cringe. Uh, I'm gonna say three and a half. Okay. Yeah, I, I I feel good that that resonates with me. A three and a half. I think the mysteries are solid. I think um, the pacing is good, but. Yeah, I, the the coconut moment. <laughs> you got to take that into consideration. Um, I mean, I hope there was a lover's quarrel on a blimp. That's so romantic. <sighs> I hope there was too. Let's just assume that there <laughs> Let's was. Let's just assume. Well, that's the end. That's the end of season five. We're finally done with season five. It feels like it's been a million years. I mean, it kind of has. 24 episodes. Oof. Plus, we've taken more breaks this season than any other season, so it has taken us quite a while to get through this one. You know what? We gotta we gotta stretch out this real good content. It's true. People can't if it, we really could release every week, people wouldn't be able to handle it. It'd overwhelm their senses. What do you have any final thoughts on season five, or should we save that for our? Our listeners I, I need to collect my thoughts. So yeah. maybe we're going to have a finale episode out next week and then we'll probably take yet another break. Um, yeah. Uh, we we have, start Samantha, six. don't say it like that. We have earned that break. Are you kidding me? We, have, <laughs> we definitely need it. I don't know if we earned it. it, but we for sure need it. <laughs> well, we're taking it either way. It doesn't matter. This is our show. And uh, this might be a good time to mention that we don't have a lot of listener stories, so send them in if you've got them. But also, we may be taking questions and we may do like a Q&A type thing. I think we should. Um, Why not? So keep an eye on our social media. We'll put the call out for that. Um, yeah, yeah. If you've got any burning questions, you're dying. We haven't done a Q&A in a while, so maybe you've got some. Uh, I'm sure no one questions. really cares about anything we say or do. But if you do happen to have any questions, let us know. Yeah. <laughs> let us know. <laughs> okay. So that's where we are. It is now time for our recommendations. I have a few recommendations, updates. Let's see if I can remember them. One is, since this is really secretly a Baraska fan podcast, is that uh, New York Comic Con obviously is online this year. They're not gonna, <laughs> they're not gonna fill a convention hall with a a bunch of people in cosplay giving each other coronavirus. So good, good on them for that. So there's going to be an online panel about Baraska. I forget what day, but you can just watch that for free. So take a look at their... I, God, I might be wrong, but I want to say it's on the 11th. Um, so yeah, you could just watch that from free from the comfort and safety of your own home if you're interested you in Baraska. That's the thing. Rising announcement. I feel like if they're going to do a season two announcement, I feel like it's going to be then. So I'm definitely going to be watching. Okay, I'm excited. And because uh, I, I got to know. I gotta know. I would love for there to be another season of that podcast. It was really good. Please, 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 please. Um, yeah, we got pumpkins and Animal Crossing. I'm literally right now wearing uh some skeleton pajamas and my Emin Sprout Jack Lantern slippers, which are gonna be coming out in purple. I want them. 
really fighting the urge to buy a second pair in purple. I, I do know. not need a second pair, but I do I want them in purple? Yes. So yeah. we'll see. But Oh, I remember. Okay. I was stalling because I was having trouble remembering what the other thing I wanted to update was, which I think at some point I mentioned I was excited to watch young wallander being a fan of this show wallander and it was so boring that i forgot that i had watched it so that's the update on that wow what a disappointment young wallander was didn't have any of the sort of bleak existential quiet dread that the kenneth brano series had and also it was just one mystery the whole the whole show that's not how wallander works okay <sighs> I, I I wasn't interested at all. Mac was like, I can't believe you're still wa- watching this. But I was like, I don't know. I feel committed. But then I forgot that I had even finished it. Like, that's how dull it was. Or the other day I was like, did I finish watching that? Oh, yeah, I did. Huh. Oh, well. So add that to the, the tragedies of 2020. Young Wallander. My actual recommendation for this week is the Paris Hilton documentary, I Am Paris, currently okay. on on Hulu. I not Hulu. Oh, my God. YouTube. You can watch it for free on YouTube. And I feel like I should say that I do have a bit of a soft spot for Paris Hilton. Might come as a surprise, considering I want to eat the rich. But I've always <laughs> felt bad for her as a victim of revenge porn. And just also, she has a very iconic like taste style where where that that high and low culture meet and just i just uh she used to have a a dog house there was an exact replica of her mansion but her dog lived in like what (laughs) that's amazing you cannot tell me that's not how a rich person says bound money but she recently released and she is involved in this project so you know that you can debate like how authentic that means this documentary is, but it's a documentary um, about her life, which is revealing and that uh, in her, you know, fame of the aughts where she was like, I cannot tell you how famous she was. The like top of every news story was about Paris Hilton, that that was essentially a scam. Like she was playing a character that whole time. She's actually not the heir to the Hilton fortune. She's really not an heiress. She is a Hilton. She's like related to them, but she's not getting any of their money. So she tricked us all. But it's more about how her parents had sent her to these like reform boot camps as a teenager. um, Because she was like going out and partying. You know, they felt like they had like lost control over her. So they sent her to all these reform boot camps, which were like so abusive and terrible sounding and traumatized her so much that that when she left, she just like ended up creating this persona where she had this like perfect life and everything was like, it's fascinating. I found it very fascinating and very revealing and just interesting. I ended up watching a bunch of like psychologists react to videos afterwards i don't know that i necessarily recommend that i don't i don't think that there was any like like insight that you won't come to yourself from that but you know trauma is traumatizing i mean like sure (laughs) i don't (laughs) i don't know that 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 level was necessary but i did find it really interesting and i think yeah, she scammed us all, and um, there's a lot more going on there than than maybe we thought. 
Nice. That's a good recommendation. I hadn't even so, heard yeah, it's, of that. It's like an, it's like an it's like an hour and a half. I think it's you know just on YouTube okay. for free. So was it um, produced for YouTube? Is it one of their like YouTube TV type? Yeah. They're trying to stream things. Well, she has a channel, so I think it's just on her channel, which is usually just like her cooking lasagna. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's usually just like YouTube kind of stuff. Vlogging. Where it'll be like. Yeah, I'll just be like, watch Paris Hilton, pick out a dress for this event. And then there's just suddenly this hour and a half documentary about how, yeah, she was talking in a fake baby voice for decades. And okay, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Fascinating. Totally fascinating. I do really recommend it. It's worth watching. I don't know that I like love it, love it, but it's definitely worth watching. Nice. So I watched two things on Netflix recently that I really enjoyed. One, I'm sure I don't even really need to recommend it because all of you are probably true crime fans. And that is the American Murder documentary about the Shanann Watts oh, right. uh-huh. murder um, and the murder of her two children as well. And she was pregnant at the time she was murdered. Um, Chris Watts, her husband, we all know, um, murdered her. The reason I'm recommending it, I, I watched it thinking it was going to be just another like true crime documentary. There's, you know, <laughs> there are a dime a dozen at this point you can't like shake a stick and not you know point at a true crime documentary these days but this one was really unique if you haven't watched it yet it's really unique in that it's not it has no narrator there are no interviews hmm. the entire documentary is told in um footage so either body cam fo- a lot of body cam footage was released from the police officers who were involved in searching for her it was all released. Um, it was so it's told in that it's told in like news footage, interviews with Chris that he did from like the police. Um, what else is there? There's like tra- so she posted a ton on social media. So there's it's told in like her social media posts. Um, the text messages between them will be on the screen. Um, so it's complete. There's yeah. There's no interviews with her friends and family other than like they'll show like them being interviewed by the news like or um the police talking to her through the the body cam footage which i think makes it first of all very interesting it's sort of like i don't know this was so recent and it's kind of like it's very different than how like true crime covers older Hmm. like what we cover in unsolved mysteries before there was body cameras and social media and texting and um so to have all of that sort of in the mix in this documentary is very interesting um and then chilling it is really chilling especially the body cam footage um because the police interact with chris watts like moments after he murdered them essentially like the same day and to see his behavior and how he's interacting with his neighbors is like very very chilling um i'm i sort of feel like i've been burnt out on true crime a little bit lately and i'm still sort of at that place like i'm kind of burnt out on sad things and depressing things and this is very sad and depressing but i thought it was unique enough that i would recommend it because i've never seen um anything like this so you've probably already watched it if you're it's been out for a little while now um but yeah i thought it was really really good and really well done. I haven't seen it. I'll have to watch it. And I mean, of course, it's horrible. It's horrible. This man murdered his two daughters just because and his wife just because he wanted, I don't know, a new life, I guess. So that's horrible. I mean, but I think a lot of us have already followed the case and know the details. So that helps going into it. 
Um, the other thing I watched that I thought was really good that maybe you, our listeners, aren't as into is I watched that Challenger documentary on Netflix about the Challenger explosion. Um, and I recommend that as well. I thought that was really well done. Um, I feel like a lot of people probably know sort of the basic details of what happened to when the Challenger exploded, which is that like NASA knew about this malfunction in the rocket booster or whatever that eventually led to the explosion of the Challenger and the death of the crew members, including a teacher. Um, NASA was sending a teacher into space, sort of. Um, Reagan asked them to do that to sort of prove like how space safe space travel is because mm. we'll, we'll even send a teacher into space, um, a citizen astronaut. And of course it exploded and she, along with six other astronauts died, um, which I mean, I already, I always knew that there was a co- like an attempted cover up, and that NASA was basically culpable for causing this. Like they knew that it could happen, and they launched anyway. But I didn't really know the extent to it, uh, and yeah. that part of it is really really interesting. Um, the documentary is short; it's only six episodes, um, so it's very bingeable. And it was really good. If you're looking for something to watch, um, sort of different, I think uh, you would like like that documentary. Nice. Yeah, I, I actually, that sounds really interesting. Yeah. I'd be into that. Uh, Travis and I watched it. He was kind of like, I don't know, I want to watch this. This doesn't sound that interesting, but we were both pretty um, sucked in right away. And of course, Netflix is doing, Netflix does a pretty good job in its originals. They're shot very well. Um, you've got a lot of variety in the footage, and the interviews are, are always really well done. So you won't be disappointed. Okay. Good to know. As Well, I'm on my break from this podcast, just. Lying around, well, we do need sipping margaritas. To tide us over until the next six episodes are released in a few weeks here. Oh, on, yeah. On, on Mysteries yeah. Reboot. It's going to be good. Which I think leads us to plugging right. our shit, right? That's about the last thing we need to do. Absolutely. Where I demand five-star <laughs> reviews. The only type of reviews that we accept. Five stars. Come on. Feed our egos. Couldn't be easier. Uh, follow us on the social medias, Instagram, Twitter. We have multiple Facebook groups now because we're so cool and amazing. So join our main one or one about Animal Crossing or one about books. Everybody in there is super nice and cool. And we have a website, perhaps it's you.com. I have actually updated our recommendations on there. So you can see all the stuff we've recommended on the show. You can listen to the you can listen to the episodes. You can find the link for our merch you know all that good stuff websites have perhaps it's you.com if you want to hear our coverage of those reboot episodes uh going forward give us a at least a dollar on patreon you will get access to those mm-hmm. and access mm-hmm. to a back catalog of like over 30 episodes we talk about it's so all kinds it. of random shit like chicken people and kitchen nightmares but also uh some unsolved mysteries adjacent content as well I think this month we're going to talk about Riverdale. Yes, which is not as random as you might think. <laughs> there is a mystery. Okay. So I'm looking, really looking forward to discussing that with you, person who has never yeah. seen Riverdale. Is there anything else that we needed to say? Oh, that to send over your spooky stories. Perhaps it's you podcast, gmail.com. We want to read it. Or if you had a psychic dream. Tell us about that. Let us know. All right, that's the end of season five, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging in there in these strange times. Um, If you gave Trump COVID, thank you for that. 
And I think that's pretty much it. I think so. All right. Keep barking, everyone. Bye.